I've asked a couple of you to uh, come forward and help me out this morning. So if uh, you're one of those people, could you come up and help me out now, please? All right. So these people are my props today. So give them props because they're my props. Each one of these people represents something in my life that I love, and I think something in our lives that we all love. Uh, You know, uh, down here, this is Josh. You all know Josh. He's my co-pastor and uh, partner in ministry. We've been called to ministry together. He's holding a booklet that says, For All Who Minister, and he's holding some anointing oil. And so Josh represents ministry, calling, the things in our lives that we do for God, the things that might represent our job or our vocation the stuff we're called to do. I love my job. I love being a pastor. I love all of you, and I love the work that God's called me to. Nate Fisher here. I smack him because I love him. Nate's been a buddy of mine since, I guess, my sophomore year of high school. Um, we've, we go way back, and we've had a lot of fun times together. Nate represents friendship, and we all appreciate friendship, and he's a buddy of mine. Uh, this is my family. They represent my family. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I... I, this is Chris Rooney. You know, Chris, uh, Chris is holding uh, my surfboard. He, I didn't take it out of the case because I love my surfboard. <laughs> and uh, Chris here is representing hobbies, the things in our life that we just love to do. Okay? And, uh, and over here we have Christina, and uh, she is holding a Bible. Now, she's got the special job today because she's representing God. And, uh, of course, Christina's not God. Okay, uh, just ask Josh. Um, sorry. <laughs> I just thought of that. I should have thought of it beforehand. I, I wouldn't have said that. She's, <laughs> she's holding the Bible. We don't have any pictures of God, and as a matter of fact, we're told that we shouldn't have images of God. And so uh, what, we, what we're using today is the Bible. It's his word. It's not God. We don't worship the Bible, but it's his word to us. And so she's, uh, for the sake of our illustration this morning, going to be the representation of my love for God. Now, what I need help from all of you doing today is I want to line up from left to right, your left to right, what order these things should be in my life. I love them all, and I think I should love them all, but I want them to be in the right order. So help me out. Which one should be first over here? God. Okay. So God. I heard a lot of gods. Christina, why don't you... I heard a lot of gods. That didn't sound right. I heard a lot of people saying God. Uh, how are we making this decision? You say God, but how are we making that decision? What, why do you say that? Okay, Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Those are from what? Those words are from the Bible, the things she's holding in her hand. And so what we're saying is, is that I should put these in order based on what the Bible tells me to do, that it should be the authority in, in, as far as me making the decision. Okay, sometimes we struggle making the decision, and we just got to remember what it is that tells us to make the decision. It's not just what we feel like that day. It's what the Bible tells us, right? And so <clears throat> that means we have to know the Bible and we actually have to study the Bible in order to figure that out. Sometimes when we struggle to know our priorities, it's because we don't know our Bible. And so we need to learn our Bible. So what should be second? After God. Family? Okay. You guys can go, go down. That's one of our elders there. 
Yep. That's his job right there. He's doing his job well. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> okay, so you say the family. What's next? What? Work? Josh? I heard someone else. Nate? Oh, there's, you guys can brawl right now and figure it out. <laughs> okay, so we, we got any consensus on this one? Which comes first, friendship or ministry? Friends? Oh, wow. Here, this is what we're going to do. You guys are going to lock arms because I just love to do this to you too. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so happy right now. I love to do this to my buddies. What comes next? Surfing. Man, that was the one thing I was finessing, and you guys are saying it's last. That's amazing. Okay, so we're saying that this is, is there a general agreement around this lineup here? A general agreement? I know we struggle with this one, so there's a little bit of a question here as far as the friendship and the ministry, and we're just going to say that when it comes to the body of Christ, that they're really one and the same, aren't they? That, uh, you know, uh, the being and doing side of things, you know, the relationship that they're connected in and, and that uh, we're supposed to be in relationships, but we're also supposed to serve. And, and so these guys are <laughs> deeply connected. Anyway, so uh, would you have general agreement that this is what we believe the order is that the word of God tells us to keep our loves in? I'm not. What's that? Oh, yeah, I could take a picture of this. Yes, I would appreciate that. I, you know, I'm not exactly sure if this is how God sees it or not. I want to give you another illustration. I'm going to have all of you sit down, except for you. You need to stay here and stand in the middle. See, you guys, thank you. Thank you. You can just set that down over there. Thanks. You see, um, you won't be up here for too long. When Jesus says in uh, Matthew 22 that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, he says all the prophets and all the laws are summed up and hang on these two commands. The two commands to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And the second is like unto it, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And he says basically everything that happened, everything that's been spoken already, hangs on these two statements. When you look at the Ten Commandments, there's ten of them. Jesus spoke them a long, long time ago. God gave them to us. The first four have no other gods before me. Don't create idols. Don't use the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What relationship in my life do they all have to do with? My relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Love them with everything. That's the first of those commandments. Now the rest of them, the other six of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. Respect authority. Don't murder. Respect human life. Don't cheat on your spouse. Sanctity of marriage and of relationship. Don't lie. Respect the truth. Don't covet. I'm missing one. Just skipped one. Help me out. Don't steal. There we go. Respect. 
Respect the sowing and reaping principle. God gives and God takes away. And then last, don't covet. Be content. Respect. What do all those six things have to do with? How we deal with other people, right? And so what Jesus says is all those things, the first four and the last six are summed up in those two commandments. Now, what's the one that switches? You know, we got the first four. What's the fifth one? What's the one that begins the process of telling us how we should deal with other people? What was the first, the number five there? Honor. Honor your father and mother. You notice that all of it was God, and the next one was about what? Family. Right? And so that's what we did. We said the next thing after God was family. That was the next thing. Now, when you move fast forward to the New Testament, and you get to Jesus, and he's reinterpreting all of this for us and showing us how it all works, when he's talking about how we should love him and how we should follow him, what does he say to us about how we should deal with our mother and our father? Anybody remember? He says he is the father and mother. He says, can I have that for a second? In Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34, he says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be, his own, will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In Luke, the same passage says this, unless you hate your father and mother, you are not worthy to come and follow me. How in the world could Jesus possibly say that? Obviously, he's using hyperbole. He's trying to make a point. So what we're doing right here is that Christina is going to hold that Bible up in the air above her, and this is the deal. When it comes to lining up our loves, Jesus gives us one principle. Clear the stage. Compared to me, there is no other love in your life. It is the only love that matters. And if that love is in place, all the other loves will be great. But if they even come close to rivaling your love for me, things have gone awry. Clear the stage. God is our only love. When it comes to lining up our love, there's one important principle. Make God the only love. The first love. Thanks. You can have a seat. Sometimes, when people read that passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. We see how much Jesus sees those two commands as intrinsically linked. In 1 John it says, if you say that you love God but you don't love your brother, then you're a liar and the truth of God is not within you. And we understand the deep link between these two. And because we understand what Jesus says, that if we love God, we will inevitably love others, then it's easy for us to see those things as almost parallel. 
that loving God and loving neighbors, they're so close. I should love my family just about as much as I love God. What God's trying to tell us is it's not even a question. It's not even close. Clear the stage. He's the only one. If a man goes to work because he loves his family and he wants to provide for his family, but then he ends up loving work more than he loves his family, it's kind of lost its value, hasn't it? Because now all of a sudden, it's not for the family. And it doesn't really matter. And the family's lost their value. And frankly, work has begun to lose its value. Both of them begin to lose their value. And if we love our family more than we love God, we forgot who gave us the family. We forget who has the ability to bless our family. If anything else in our life begins to rival our love for God, we're in bad shape. They both lose their value. Now here's the deal. God is not an emotionally needy God. But in that Exodus passage, in Exodus chapter 20, where he gives us the Ten Commands, this is, this is the first one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, listen to this one, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, here's the deal. For God, it's kind of like if I went home to Jen and I was like, you know, out of all my lovers, Jen, I love you the best. Really? You know, is that going to work? No. It's not going to work. And all the other things in our lives that we tend to worship, we might put God at the front of the list, but that's not how it works. He's the only one. It's just Him. And so what He wants us to understand is Jesus says that we must hate our father and mother is not that He's an emotionally needy God and so He wants you know, all of our love because He just needs more of us. He created us. He knows us. He understands that in the depths of us, we have this need for love. Every one of us needs to be loved. As much as we need air in order to breathe and in order to sustain our life, as much as we need food and water, we need love. If we are not loved, we will spiritually begin to fade out. We will emotionally begin to crumble. We will even mentally begin to get all shook up if we are not loved. Ultimately, physically, it will take its wear on our bodies if we are not loved. We need love, and God knows it. He created us to be loved. But what God understands is, is that there's only one love that can fulfill us. You see, when you look at all the other loves, they move a little bit. They shift. They change. Given circumstances, ah, they might fade out. They might fail us. Think about the loves that are in your life right now, the different things you love. I showed you, I lined up on stage different things that, that I love, but think about the things that you love. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your hobby, maybe whatever. But how many times do they fail us? And when I say fail us, what I mean is, is when I'm down in the dumps, when I'm not okay, no matter how hard they try, they can't quite fulfill. I might try to get those things to fulfill, but I still struggle. God's love, it's unchanging. It's unbending. 
It's unyielding. It's undying. It's unconditional. It's unshakable. I used to play this game with my brother. We would run around and, uh, you know, we'd be in the house kind of playing guns, you know. And uh, so, like, I'd shoot him and he'd be like, I'm bulletproof. I'd be like, okay. So I'd take out the bazooka. I'm bazooka proof. (laughs) All right. Taking out the warheads. Warhead proof. And then eventually I'd be like, man, I'm going to hit you with everything. And he's like, I'm everything proof. (laughs) That's the love of God. The love of God is absolutely everything proof. There's not one thing in the world that can shake the love of God. Neither height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. It doesn't change. His love is the superlative form of love. Other loves, they leave something to be desired. There's always room for them to grow. That's why we do counseling and do all the stuff we do because we're helping each other learn how to love more. But God, there's no room for improvement. It's already arrived. It's the perfect love. And so he begs us and he commands us to clear the stage because there's one love that we need. We need desperately the love of God. It's amazing when we hold on to the love of God how much it actually changes us. If we actually grab a hold of it, it changes us. It really does. You know, uh, when we were first married, Jen and I, (laughs) we moved into this place in Moton. You know where Moton is? It's just south of Reading, a little bit south of Reading. And we both worked in Reading at the time, or in that area. And so when we moved in, there was this guy uh, who who lived downstairs who owned the place. He was the landlord. And... uh, he was a pretty good guy. He looked like he played for ZZ Top. He was a pretty interesting looking fellow, but he was a real nice guy. And he lived in the downstairs, and we lived in the upstairs. He had redone the upstairs of his townhome, and it made it into an apartment. And uh, pretty quickly, we found out that this guy was not just a landlord. He was also a drug lord. And um, he was real honest about that. He was, you know, I guess if you're honest, it's okay. Um, but he, he would talk to us about, you know, that part of his life. Well, we, it was really interesting what happened. I mean, I remember this one time. It was like uh, the, the first time it happened, I think it was about four in the morning on a Saturday morning. And they had obviously been on something all night. And uh, they're, coming, they're coming down off their high. And all of a sudden, four in the morning, Saturday morning, and ACDC is blaring at 10 decimals all of a sudden. Boom! Jen and I are like, <gasps> you know, trying to figure out what's going on, looking around, you know, it's pitch black out, and our whole house is shaking, you know? I was going to call the landlord, but then I was like, wait, it's the landlord. Um, another time, like two in the morning, it was freezing cold outside, and he wanted to work on his bike, so he brought his bike into the house, and he's working on it, getting it fixed. It's about two in the morning, and he decides to fire up his Harley right underneath of our bed. Oh, my word, the house shook. I thought it was coming down, man. I, it, it, was, it, was, it scared us half to death. <laughs> oh, man. And then, the, to, to top it all off, I mean, it was, it was the middle of February or something, and the, the boiler went out, the, the heater broke, and um, I went down to him, and, and the hot water wasn't working, and uh, I went down to him that morning, and I was like, hey, you know, our heat's off. He's like, yeah, mine is too. I'm like, are you going to get it fixed? And he's like, I don't know if I can. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I don't have, I don't have any money. I'm like, I just paid you rent, man. Like, what? And he's like, I had a deal go bad. I'm sorry. You know, and I'm like, what? 
this isn't going to work, you know. But the funny thing is, I tell you all those stories because at this point in my life, if that was to happen, I would go berserk, okay? But what was amazing, I, I mean, really, I mean, honestly, in, internally, it'd be like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I, I hope that I wouldn't, but I sure think that I probably would. Um, but at that point, it was funny. I mean, it was a problem, and we recognized it as a problem, and we wanted it to get fixed. But the thing was, is we were brand new in marriage. Jen and I both came in. This is the first time we had lived with another person, you know, uh, other than like my brother or my roommate. But I mean, it was like, this was, the whole thing was brand spanking new to us. And we were deeply in love and we were having so much fun that like no matter what else was going on, it was like, ah, yeah, it's freezing cold in here, but bring on a few more covers, you know? And it was like an adventure. You know, everything else paled in comparison. When we receive and experience love on profound levels, no matter what else is going on, we have an ability to absorb it and to deal with it because we're so deeply in love. Marriage and friendships and all those things, they can take us so far with love, but again, they're not everything proof. So we can't absorb as much. But when someone experiences the bulletproof love of God, oh man, you can sustain so much. It's almost as if like a, a woman being deeply in love with her husband and, and talking about how spectacular her husband has been to her and, and how, how wonderful everything is. And then you finally get a chance to go and talk to this guy and you say, hey, what's the, what's the, uh, what's the deal? How do you love your wife so well? And he's like, you know what? I just don't make her first place in my life. What? You know, it doesn't make any sense. And yet that's exactly the key to being able to care for someone and love someone is we come into the relationship already filled up with love so that we can pour over. We don't need from them. We need to give to them. And when we're filled up with the love of God, all those other loves that are lined up here, they get loved so much better because this love of God fills us up. And it overflows. And it can bless all the others. But if we focus on trying to just be the good spouse, or trying to be the good minister, or trying to be the good friend, and trying to do all of those things, and if that is our focus, and if that is our effort, then we will fail. We will fail. But if we clear the stage, and we allow ourselves to be saturated with the deep love of God, we can become bulletproof. 1 John 4.16 says, and so we know and rely on the love of God. There's a big difference between knowing about the love of God and then relying on it. We do need to know our Bible and it tells us all about the love of God, but then we also actually need to trust that love and rely and depend on that love. Here's the picture of it. Here's the picture of someone depending on that love. It's Jesus on his knees in a garden the night that he was going to the cross. And he's bleeding blood. He's sweating blood. And he's crying out to his father. And he's saying, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, if Jesus cared in that moment about his friendships more than he cared about his father... He wouldn't have gone through with it. His friends wanted him to conquer the world, not die. If he had cared about his reputation, if he had cared about his rights, 
He would have stood up in front of Pilate and in front of the religious leaders and he would have told them to back down and he would have showed himself as miraculous and he would have stopped the whole process. But he didn't. He cared about his father more than he cared about his rights or his reputation. All across the board, Jesus yielded all the other loves and he cleared the stage. All of his desires, all of the things that he wanted out of life, he cleared the stage and he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Because this is how it works. If we are going to love God, if we're going to put Him first in our life, it's not just that we work to put Him up here and to love Him more than everything else. The position of the first love in our life is not one of giving love, but it's one of receiving love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. Us. In all these other places, God, we're, we got we got to care for these people. We got to care in our ministry. We got to we got to care for our family, and we're called to give. But there's one place where it starts not with giving, but with receiving. The very core of our life of loves is Jesus giving to us. But sometimes it's actually harder to line up what we receive love from than what we give love to. Because there's so many things that are easier, more tangible to receive love from. I mean, if, if my spouse is right here, why seek for love from God when I can find it right here? If the entertainment is right here and I need something tonight, the entertainment's so much easier. If I need to feel productive because I don't feel good about myself, I can knock out a few more things at work and I can feel good about myself. But God is so elusive, so invisible. And yet the command is this, to receive our primary love from God. What George Ann read for us before the message started was a scripture. It was a letter to the book of Ephesians. And it said, you guys have dotted every theological eye. You've crossed the T of every good work in your life. You've done it all right. But one thing, you've forsaken your first love. Everyone looking at these guys, they look at them and say they're super Christians. But they're not receiving their love primarily from God. We're going to end today by reading our text. The text is actually coming at the end of the message instead of the beginning. And you know how typically I do it with the text. I have you stand up with me in honor of the Word of God. So we're going to read this text, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then we're going to wrap up. So uh, you can stand up with me now. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors as yourself. Remember there's those two categories that he gave us? All of those are in which category? 
Other people. Loving your neighbor. So when he asks, how do I have eternal life? Jesus gives him all the commands about how to love other people. And this is the response from the man. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? This man, like the church in Ephesus, had dotted every I and crossed every T, did what he was supposed to do. And so Jesus answers, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then we have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You can have a seat. Jesus says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Sell it all and give it to the poor. In that moment, I kind of think of it like I think of that, you know, uh, hate your father and mother thing. Like, it must be hyperbole, right? He's not actually telling the guy he has to sell everything and give it away. That's just hyperbole. And yet, in this context, it doesn't really seem that it is. Jesus is actually asking the guy to sell it all and give it to the poor. The demands of Christ at times just seem overwhelming in the Scriptures. I'm like, how could he actually expect the man to sell everything he has and give it to the poor? I think maybe what he wants is for me to just be willing to give it to the poor. You know? Be willing to sell it and give it to the poor. So what's the difference between being willing to do it and actually doing it? The only real difference is accountability, right? When it comes to our heart. If we're actually willing to do it, then okay, I'll do it. And if I have done it, then obviously I was willing to do it. But I could say that I'm willing to all day long and actually believe that I'm willing to all day long. But until the moment comes where I'm actually asked to do it, I don't know whether my heart really is willing. Is he the primary love? For this man, the moment came. Jesus, face to face, asks him, your job, your wealth, all of it, sacrifice it in order to love those who I love. Jesus understood he might have gotten all those other things right. Religiously, he lived a good life. He loved people. He did what he was supposed to. But Jesus saw right through him and realized that on the throne of this man's life, even though he could tell us all about God and all about the commands and did them well, on the throne of his life, God was not primary. And he asked the man to clear the stage and put him primary. And the man hung his head and he walked away. Because see, this guy, like all of us, needed something inside. And the way we need love, he needed love. And when he wasn't finding it the way he needed to in God, it was like someone underwater who couldn't breathe. But eventually, you're going to take a breath. You have to. And all of us, if we're not receiving the love of God the way we need to, eventually we're going to find love somewhere. And we're going to latch on to something. And when we do, 
It's not going to be the kind of air that helps us. It's not going to be the kind of love that really sustains us. It's going to take us off focus. And it's going to become an addiction. And that's where this guy was. And when he realized that he didn't have what it takes to let go of the wealth that he held on to, he hung his head and he turned and walked away. It's exactly what happened to Peter when Peter had to come to terms with the fact, I failed God. I denied him even though he told me I wouldn't. I care about my pride and my own skin and my own way of doing things more than, than I just give the reins over to God in my life. The difference between Peter and the rich man is this. The rich man turned on his heel and he walked away after realizing that he didn't have God as the first thing in his life. He just turned and walked away. But Peter, even though he failed, he just stayed. He just had this idea that God's love was enough, that even though he had failed at making him first love, I'll just hang in here because his love will come around and it'll take care of me. And so in one way, even though he failed to keep God on the throne of his life, he hung in there with Jesus. All of us fail to put God first in our life. All of us breathe things we shouldn't. All of us love things in the wrong order. We all do it. That's why Jesus says, with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So the call in our life is simple. Love the Lord our God with everything inside of us. And when we fail to do that, don't turn on our heel and walk away, but fall on our knees and say, God, we need you. Because we know up here that you are everything we need, but we are weak here. We need help, God. If we feel the lack of love for God in our lives and if we've known that things have gotten out of order, we can try really hard to do more stuff to get it back right, but it will only be other fake loves that we're trying to fill the hole with. The only way to respond to our lack of love for God is to fall on our knees and say, God, help me. I know you're the best thing for me, but I am addicted to life without you. I am addicted to finding my love through this relationship or this piece of productivity or my security or my health insurance or whatever it is, the thing that I will not let go of for you. I know that it's twisted around, but I need your help, God. Change my heart. Line up my loves for me because you are my only true love. Let's pray. God, our prayer today is, uh, it's a singular prayer. Uh, you know, we really want to love people the way we're called to. We want to love our families the way we're called to. You tell us to honor our families, honor our parents, and to love our spouses and to care for our kids. And this whole series that we're going on about relationships, God, we want to get it all in order and we want to care and love for all the relationships in our life. And we want to live on mission for you and do all the things that you've called us to. But we understand at the very core of that thing, before we can be productive, before we can be caring, before we can 
be bulletproof and overflow with love for others despite what's happening. Produce the fruit of the Spirit regardless of what comes our way. And mimic Jesus in a garden where he's willing to do what it is that you called him to do no matter what the circumstances. In order to live that kind of life for you, we understand that we need, we need something. We need love on on levels that we have yet comprehended. We need you. And God, it's hard for us to experience your love and receive it and wait just for your love. There's so many other things that are easier to access. There's so many other things that are right at our fingertips. And we put our expectations on them. And we expect them to fulfill us. And when they don't, it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect scene for disappointment. And I've seen marriages and relationships and all sorts of things fall apart because we've been looking to one another to find what it is that we need. And God, we know it, but we also know that we're thick in the head sometimes. And God, we want to receive what we need from you and from you alone. We want to obey your command to love you first. And so we ask that the work that you did on the cross, where you love us first, would be a reality in our lives. And it would start with changing our heart to look to you before anything else, God. Keep our families, our ministries, our friendships, our hobbies, all of it from interfering with you, God. Give us strength to know you first. In Jesus' name, amen.